Voices of Colibri is led by Gabby Cárdenas, founder and CEO of the Colibri Collective. Listen along as Gabby invites integral members of our community to share their insights into today's most pressing topics in marketing, from women's empowerment to entrepreneurship, social and cultural awareness, politics, and more. The Colibri Collective is the first Latina-owned digital agency in Phoenix, Arizona. You can learn more about us at thecolibricollective.com. Welcome to Voices of Colibri. Hola, I'm Gabby Cárdenas. Welcome to the Voices of Colibri podcast. And I'm Genevieve Leach, copywriter at the Calibri Collective. I'll be co-hosting today's episode with Gabby. Today, I'm honored to have Angela Huey, president of One Community and One Community Foundation. Why I'm honored is because I did get to spend about 11 months with Angela Huey uh, with Valley Leadership. Go um, class class 33, 33, best class ever. Best class ever. <laughs> we did get that trophy, so... Um, it's really an honor. I have seen um, her organization grow. I have been there and when she actually started her pledge back yeah. in the days. It was an emotional thing when we all stood up um, in her first luncheon yeah. as a group. Um, in her, her classmates were there. I'm yeah. getting emotional because I remember that day. We all stood, took the pledge, and um, it was a big deal uh, when that happened. And so we're really honored to have her here today and to tell us the story behind her organization. Um, she has done so much for our community, for human rights. Uh, and, you know, she is um, Woman of the Year, um, and she's done so much for our community. So I will um, now welcome Angela. Thank you, Gabby. Uh I think we should let's do a reunion at this year's spotlight. Yeah, definitely. I'm serious. Like as soon as this, as soon as we're done, I'm going to send an email to everyone, and we'll let's invite all of our classmates to join us at Spotlight this year. It's way overdue. Totally overdue. Know. So it's celebration October 28th, Valley Leadership Class 33, best class ever. Best class ever. Absolutely. We even have our name tags. We do have that. our name tags. <laughs> the only name tags that literally ever said best class ever. Yes. Yeah. And we're so proud of it. We are. Definitely. But it's a pleasure and honor to be here with you. So thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. We love, you know, as um, Colibri, we're storytellers and we'd love to have you share your story today. Um, tell us a little bit more um, to our audience of um, what led you to um, start One Community. Uh, it's a great journey story, I think. Actually, I was um, I was working in the Hispanic community for uh, an English dominant uh, publication uh, that was meant to connect with um, second and third generation uh, acculturated uh Hispanic uh, Americans and Hispanic Arizonans, and it was a great honor. And I love the Hispanic community. I always saw so many um, really remarkable parallels uh, between the Latino and Latina community and the LGBTQ community. And I, and I had this idea that like, if you could bring our communities together, like you could really change things. So, and I was out um, and I saw some of my Hispanic community relations peers go through title changes uh, and they all became multicultural community managers. And so I started asking, I'm like, do you have money and the opportunity to invest in the LGBTQ community? And everyone said, yes. Then I said, what are you doing with that investment? And pretty much everyone said nothing. And I said, why? And they said, well, we don't understand the complexity and the diversity within the LGBTQ community. And I knew from the work that I was doing in the Hispanic community that people didn't understand the complexity of any of our diverse, historically marginalized communities, right? Everyone thinks we're this monolithic group, right? Um, in the Hispanic community, people think that 
folks are recent arrivals and don't understand that in particular in Arizona, we have so many fourth and fifth generation Americans that we live in a state that used to be a part of Mexico and that the great history of Arizona is built uh, truly on the Hispanic culture. And it's something that we should be lifting up and celebrating. Uh, so we clearly have some work to do there still. Um, and in the LGBTQ community back in the day, this was um, one community is 13 years old now. So it's about 15 years ago. Congratulations. Thank you. I know. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> but about 15 years ago, you know, everyone, uh, you know, I used to say, I uh, thought that, you know, we were all um, white gay males that had washboard stomachs and no one aged past the uh, 29. <laughs> no. uh, and and so uh, people really didn't understand the cultural diversity within the LGBTQ community. Um, and so, uh, you know, my wife and I, my partner, because we weren't allowed to marry at that time, we used to say, well, we don't fit very neatly in these boxes. People don't really understand who we are. So when I saw my Hispanic community relations peers going through title changes, I, there was an opening um, and there was a void and there was an opportunity, I thought, to educate, um, you know, really the business community throughout Arizona on who we were as consumers and professionals within their ranks. And so Sherry, my, my wife's name is Sherry, and I started like penciling out this, this business plan on our dining room table. Uh, and in October of 2008, uh, marriage equality had come to the state of California and we went over to California and got hitched. We were 15 years into our relationship, got married and the, and the day, the, the next day, which was when we were taking our first gay cruise, cause you know, everyone needs to take at least one gay cruise. We launched <laughs> our first, um, one community website. We literally emptied out our 401k, uh, cause we really believed in this concept, um, and, uh, the stock market, like, uh, absolutely the bottom fell out of the stock market on our honeymoon. So we were like, oh my goodness, um, we've, we have to make this work now. Right. So we launch in what we did not realize was going to be a very adverse economic, um, time in our nation. Uh, and, and I think that we are really known organizationally. I like to say we like to make lemonade. Uh, we see opportunity and adversity and my point at that time was no business had too much business. And one of the myths about the LGBTQ community, community like number one was, you know, we were all swinging from a chandelier. Uh, and number two was we had more money than anyone else because we, the assumption was we were all double income uh, and uh, had a, had a really great spend. Uh, and so there was an opportunity there and really the foundation of one community is around consumer activism, which I would say is more alive and well today than it was literally 13 years ago. And our first tagline was you vote with your wallet every day. Uh, I and, love it. Yeah. And so, uh, I really look at gen X and millennials and really, uh, the, the, the want and the need uh, to align with products and services that share their core values and beliefs. And that is um, really the foundation of what one community was created on, right? Is that we want to align with people that believe that we should all be treated fairly. I love the story. Thank you so much. Sure. Wow. You know, when you talk about the, the, what, you know, 13 years ago and you were hit with the the market crash and, yeah. and everything the recession and 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 what was happening at that current state you still went opposed to what was happening and i commend you for having that vision and look at you now um and you're you're 
all the accolades and um, the awareness that you have brought to our community. And yes, you do vote with your wallet. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a matter of asking people and engaging. And if you don't speak to the communities, you're not going to be able to get anything. I think that speaks to all communities. Well, it, it, and that's just it, right? And so you need to have an authentic engagement with all of our diverse communities. Diversity is our greatest strength. Uh, that is what has built this great nation. Mm -hmm. uh, and we should lift up our diverse communities and we should connect with our diverse communities. And then also like this is a math problem, right? Mm -hmm. Or a math equation, if you will. Uh, you know, when we look at our diverse communities, you know, we're a minority majority in five of our 15 counties in Arizona. We have been since 2008. Uh, we will be the first state or one of the first, if not the first state to be a minority majority as a state about a decade before the census or 12 years, depending on which data you're looking at. You have an LGBTQ community and population uh, in the state and in this nation. We really don't understand the depth and breadth of our LGBTQ plus community because there's no there's no data collection where we don't count on the census. Right. Like. I was on the city of Phoenix uh, census committee in 2010, my incredible honor. Uh, and, you know, that was the first time that um, same sex couples that lived in the same household could be counted. Uh, but like, you know, I mean, you really needed a GPS system to kind of figure out how to fill out the census. And so, you know, based on uh, interact, in, inaccurate data collection, because we don't ask people their sexual orientation or gender identity, uh, you know, we're eight or nine percent of the population. Um, uh, and, you know, we have uh, just a we have a three tr trillion dollar a year buying power. But again, all of this is based on um, inaccurate data collection. And so I constantly want to work collaboratively with organizations and communities uh, to make sure that we all count. Right. And so that was mm -hmm. so cool in 2010. Uh, we, we got some grants from the census and we had, we count t-shirts made up and it was such a, uh, just a really historic and awesome moment of pride. And, and it was a different census back in 2010. Yeah. I was on the census committee yeah. and it was a whole different, whole different. ballpark. Yeah, I mean, totally. The, I would tell you that, um, it was really beautiful engagement um, yeah. compared to what we saw this in census. 2020. And, and yes, and we know that there was. Uh, a pandemic and all of this. And things. the administration it, was very different. It was a vastly different uh, administration. People wanted to be counted. There was a joy around the census. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was, and we created uh, LGBTQ marketing around the census, like before it was created anywhere in the nation. We were like kind of seen. So, um, and had friends at, at large companies that like printed the posters and the postcards for us because they really believed in what we're doing. And so, you know, um, any success uh, and all success um, comes uh, because people believe in you and they, they don't just believe they're actionable allies. Right. And so regardless of what community what we, we're all a part of, I think one of the most important things we can be is actionable allies to our friends and our partners and the communities we love, because it is together that we truly are one community. Absolutely. Well, talking about actionable allies, yeah. um, tell us your, about your recent um, trip to Washington, DC. Uh, Gabby, what thank were you, doing thank you so much for that question. <laughs> so uh, last year was a really remarkable year in the state of Arizona. Um, after seven years of educating and coalition building and working with remarkable leaders, uh, including Mayor John Giles and Mesa, um, uh, Mesa, Scottsdale and Glendale. 
uh, all past LGBTQ inclusive municipal ordinances. Uh, and then Tolleson picked up the Glendale ordinance and we're like, we're in it too, Yay. which is so cool. So uh, in 90 days, you had uh, inclusive coverage for more than a million Arizonans. Um, and I have always believed that comprehensive federal protections uh, for LGBTQ Americans really run through cities like Mesa. Mesa is the one of, if not the most conservative city yeah, in the nation. Absolutely. I mean, especially because you have the biggest um, population of the LDS mm -hmm. community. And so, yes. And we, and what was so amazing, uh, I'm so glad that you bring up the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Gabby, because, you know, the Mesa ordinance passes and it was three days of, uh, of joyful tears from our team and in collaboration with our friends and partners at Equality Arizona. And on the third day, uh, you know, uh, Arizona is unfortunately home to some really strong, deeply rooted anti-LGBTQ organizations. Mm -hmm. And on the third day, uh, three days after the ordinance passed, um, there was uh, an attempt to collect signatures and put the Mesa ballot or the Mesa um, inclusive ordinance on the ballot, which would have been this November uh, had they been successful. And so we were introduced to leadership of the LDS church um, it, at really a remarkably vulnerable time. And I always believe that you know who people are when they're vulnerable. You know, we're, we're, uh, we're our true selves <laughs> when, when the heat is on. And the heat was on uh, and um, we put out a collaborative statement. And for the first time, the church came out and said that they supported LGBTQ inclusive policy, not just in employment and housing, but also in public accommodations. And uh, and we had other uh, remarkable bishops of, of several other faiths that joined onto that letter as well. And that that effort and that introduction was made by our senior senator, Senator Cinema. Uh, who certainly likes bipartisanship and bringing folks together. And so we're grateful for her leadership there. Um, and it is remarkable because we are just returning from Washington, D.C. Uh, our team was there on Monday and Tuesday. And when we were in Washington, uh, it was not lost on us that it was just a year ago that we met our friends in the church and how far um, this beautiful blossoming relationship has come and, uh, and, and how much deeper our roots in bipartisanship and in truly working in a collaborative manner uh, to make sure that LGBTQ Americans have the same rights and protections as all other Americans, how quickly we have grown this. And so the, the work really in Mason, Scottsdale, and Glendo, all center-right municipalities, really um, inspired us to uh, launch uh, a coalition, a nationwide coalition in partnership with Equality Arizona called Equality and Fairness for All Americans. And the reality is we have two pieces of na federal legislation right now. We have the Equality Act, which has center-left support. We have Fairness for All Americans, which has center-right support. Our question was simple. What is in between the two and how can you create a piece of legislation that could get the 60 plus votes that is needed to pass in the Senate. And so we examined the really remarkable legislation, the two pieces and said, there's great stuff in both of them. And we, basically the idea was take 40% of the Equality Act and 40% of Fairness for All. And we added in another 20% in our in our equality and fairness uh, framework. We wanted to bring that employment number down from 15 to zero because every American worker, regardless of the size of business organization they work for, should have non-discrimination protections, not just based on sexual orientation or gender identity, but based on uh, culture and age and disability and all of the other currently protected um, classes and religion, of course. Um, and we wanted a, a federal ban on conversion therapy. Uh, and 
you just saw that President Biden signed an executive order uh, two days ago. And one of the things in that executive order is a ban on conversion therapy. And I'm grateful for the executive order. However, we have learned in the history of America that executive orders can be undone by, uh, by the next person in office and so many times mm -hmm. are. And so it's really important that uh, a federal ban on conversion therapy happens. Uh, but it's also very important that we codify marriage equality. Mm -hmm. uh, we have marriage equality through a Supreme Court decision, the Obergefell decision that uh, my wife and I, uh, uh, Sherry is my wife and, and legally so, we have the 1138 rights and protections that other married couples have. And the fact that uh, our marriage uh, and our those right, same rights and protections could be in jeopardy um, is really cause for alarm. We also have employment protections. Uh, if you work for federal employment protections, currently, if you work for a business or organization that has 15 or more employees, and that is through a Supreme Court decision as well. So that needs to be codified. And we need to wipe don't add, or, uh, the Defense of Marriage Act off the books. So so um, it's go time. Uh, it's more vulnerable. Uh, LGBTQ Americans are vulnerable. I would say our democracy is really vulnerable yeah. right now. Um, and we, it, it is incumbent upon us as Americans to work in a collaborative fashion uh, and get uh, a bipartisan uh, bill uh, that is comprehensive and brings protections to LGBTQ Americans in employment and housing and public accommodations, jury service and credit um, before the midterm elections. Uh, because when we see redistricting that the, the window is now, uh, mm -hmm. or it, it really could be another decade. Um, and as we know, in the state of Arizona and around the United States, we've seen more anti-LGBTQ pieces of legislation uh, it's introduced. Been a, it's been really it's bad. It's so scary. It's I really mean, scary. all across the board. I yep. mean, this year has been really bad. 15 anti-LGBTQ pieces here. Like this and it's going to get worse. Like, yes. like, I mean, when we we believe it gets rockier, right? So we need to bring the temperature down. Yes. Number one, we need to protect Americans. Uh, and we need an LGBTQ. And we need our communities to be aware of this. Yes. I think sometimes... Um, our communities silo themselves and they're not aware of this. So it's people need to, well, I think, I think you're right. I think so much of this is education. I think so many people mistakenly believe that LGBTQ Arizonans and LGBTQ Americans have the same rights and protections. And, and we don't, a lot of people are not aware even of the, uh, the employment yeah. part of it. Right. I mean, yeah. yeah. So there's, there's more work to do and it looks like it's going to be rocky mm -hmm. ahead. So we have to work together Federal protections is the way to get mm -hmm. it done. We have 10 municipal ordinances in the state by population that covers half the state. But our world, I mean, it, it, this is a vastly different um, just experience. If you're in LGBTQ Arizona, and if you're not in one of these 10 municipalities that is yes. fully inclusive. And we want to make sure we have a responsibility in this state and in this nation, no matter who you are, no matter who you love, no matter what country you come from, uh, no matter your faith or, or, or non-belief, uh, we have a responsibility to ensure that every person is treated fairly. Those are the great American ideals that, that this country is founded mm -hmm. on. Um, and so we have work to do. Yeah. Regardless of background, yeah. faith, sex, whatever doesn't preference, matter. it doesn't We're matter. We're all people. We are And we have to beings. stop politicizing LGBTQ people in a community because we're not we shouldn't be politicized. I, I, I was on a, a great uh, interview with uh, Sarah Kate Ellis, who from the presidency of glad yesterday. And so she's so eloquent, but she's like, we're human beings. Like we have to stop politicizing uh, communities. We're people. Um, and just so grateful for 
um, her wisdom and and just the eloquence with in, with which she she spoke truly about our common humanity, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I, I'm a better person because I listened to her yesterday and, uh, she's a remarkable leader. Um, but we, we have a responsibility to work together. I think the human aspect and, um, has been forgotten in some places and some, and we need to bring that humanity back. We do. We do. Uh, I think COVID helps with that too. Right. I mean, we, um, we haven't been in the same room with people for a long time uh, because of the pandemic. And so I think it's easy to, uh, you know, to, to hide behind social media, to hide behind social media <laughs> and say whatever the heck you want with uh, yeah, no without zero responsibility, zero responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to start by asking about what your coming out experience was like, especially for me uh, as a, like, I'm like, almost Gen Z. And I just think that my experience coming out has to have been very different because uh, when I came out, it was kind of like I just told my parents, like, I have a girlfriend. And they were like, okay. And (laughs) my experience was different. (laughs) Yeah. And it helped that I had some um, older cousins who had already come out. You know, it wasn't unfamiliar by any means. And honestly, one of my parents said, like, yeah, of course, like was the opposite of surprised. And so I just imagine, especially for um, a lot of younger people nowadays, it it seems like in some situations it can be more acceptable. There are certainly still a lot of times that it's considered unacceptable to be queer. And so I'd just love to hear your thoughts um, on your experience. So it was difficult. Um, uh, yeah, it wasn't an easy ride, but you know, it was really interesting. I was like, uh, I just, I'm just like, I don't think there's anything wrong with me. So I think I'm just the way I'm supposed to be. And so that's, that's that, uh, it was really difficult for Sherry and I, um, you know, in our younger years too, because I mean, the reality is it's still not unlawful in half the state and half of America to fire someone based on their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, there were a lot less people that were out when I was younger. And so I just didn't have those role models or, um, people weren't out, uh, that, you know, are stars and, you know, it was, you didn't see people that were LGBTQ. And so that was tougher. Um, and, uh, in my, my family, I've been on an incredible journey with my family and it was not an easy one. Um, but I'm incredibly grateful, I think, really, um, for Sharon and I and uh, the fact that we've just always been by each other's sides in all of this. And it's not been easy. And we've had a, a number of difficult conversations over the years about, like, being in in a place of employment and getting to the place where, like, okay, like, should I come out or, she, you know, um, and because the concern was always, like, you know, we could lose our job. And, and uh, you know, we, we both uh, experienced some pretty interesting scenarios when, when, you know, um, coming out at work. But, uh, as I kind of went through my professional career, I just was in a place where I'm like, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. I'm not going to hide who I am. If I'm asked a direct question, I'm, I'm going to answer it directly. Um, and really got to that point, which was a very freeing, really got to that place. Um, I remember, uh, I worked for clear channel radio and, uh, so big opportunity. So excited. Wow. And, uh, I was going to lunch with my managers my first day. So one of them says, are you married? Oh, gosh. <laughs> and I said, well, not legally. 
okay. And then uh, still in the back of the car on this drive, which seemed like it was a really long drive. It was like five <laughs> minutes to get to the restaurant. But an eternity. Yeah. <laughs> and my other manager says, well, do you have any children? And I said, no, you know, like uh, we keep trying. It's not working for some mm -hmm. reason. And they were like, oh, oh, oh. And so <laughs> I was like out before they were like pouring the glass of water uh, mm -hmm. at this at this restaurant. And you know, I'm not going to say it wasn't anxiety ridden because, because it was, um, and I, and I really did. And I kind of walked, you know, into that role and was like, we have to go Hispanic and we have to go gay. People, She's not going to last this kid. Um, and we did, we, we really started an authentic relationship with the Hispanic community. And, and years later, uh, you know, here I am, uh, as the co-founder of president of one community. And I wind up working with iHeartMedia, which, uh, was formerly clear channel. And, you know, they give me a radio show on their pride network. Right. And so that's the remarkable evolution that um, happens with people coming out and telling their stories and being courageous. And um, I still think it takes a great deal of courage um, today. Um, but I also think that, you know, we all have a, a right and a responsibility to be who we are. Um, and that's an imperative. And so. Uh, yeah, we, we've come a long way, but we have more work to do. Definitely. Well, and I remember when the, um, when the Supreme court decision came out in 2015, I had just graduated high school, like the month before. And it was like this moment of like, wow, like the world is changing, like everything's going to be okay. And then learning later on, as I got older about like the employee, like situations and like in which situations we have rights and, I think there's um, there's a lot to unpack about what it means to come out in the workplace as well. I feel very lucky to work in a very safe workplace, but it's just that I think it can be hard to decide when's the right time, if it's the right time, and who to trust with coming out. Um, and do you have any advice for others who are maybe trying to figure that out in their own environment? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, we just had our diversity career expo, uh, which we started doing during the pandemic and there, it's a virtual career expo and, uh, talented people that are looking for their next career, um, are really grateful for that platform because they know that if the employer, uh, is connected to one community that they're inclusive. Right. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, there are really great ways in the interview process. It's important for, uh, folks that are, again, that are being interviewed and are interviewing their potential next employer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to ask about the culture, um, of the organization to ask, um, ways that they lift up their diverse employees. Uh, some of the best advice I've heard, uh, is really to, to ask the questions of the employer when you're, uh, when you're sitting down in those interviews and see how those, see how those answers feel. Right. Um, but I, I think you should be asking about the inclusiveness of a, a cult, the culture of an organization, um, from the, in your interview. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. If they can't handle it in the interview, I'm thinking you don't it's probably be not there. a good fit. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Angela, I recall that um, the striking moment of, um, you know, you starting your unity pledge, um, I, I would like for you to take a deeper dive to share what is the unity pledge. I know that um, shared through the lens mm -hmm. of what it is, um, how it's impacted both on the individual basis, 
on the business and then um, just take it away. Sure, definitely. So um, uh, in 2012 at our Spotlight Luncheon, we introduced this remarkable couple, Karen Bailey and Nelda Majors, and told their amazing 50 plus year love story. Uh, and, uh, I was talking at the end of the uh, luncheon and, um, I said, you know, here's Karen and Nelda. Uh, they've been together since they were 18 and 19 years old in, uh, Texas. And when we were interviewing them, Karen said something that we couldn't walk away from. She said, you know, when we first got together in the fifties, uh, at 18 and 19 in a small rural town in Texas, um, you could lose your life because you were gay and you could oh, lose your yeah. family because you were gay and you could lose your job because of who you loved. And I just paused and said, and here we are 50 years later and that still holds true. And the response we got from people realizing that it was not illegal to uh, fire someone because of their sexual orientation or gender identity was really overwhelming. And the response was, Amiga, you've got it wrong. There's no way you can fire someone. Uh, LGBTQ people have the same protections in employment as everyone else. And so um, we had an AIDS walk team that year and we were uh, the, the, like two days after Spotlight, we were uh, you know, in downtown Phoenix doing an AIDS walk and I was walking and talking with some friends and I'm like, there's an opportunity here like to educate people. And I, I always believe in like lifting people up and lifting organizations up and, and, and like leaning into like doing better, right? Because we just don't know what we don't know, right? Uh, and Sometimes it's better. Yeah. <laughs> it takes the fear away. It does, right? And I don't know. We were just like walking and talking, doing AIDS walk. And I we turned a corner and I was like, let's call it the Unity Pledge. And my friend says, oh, I like that. What is it? And I'm like, I don't know, but we'll figure it out over breakfast. And here we are in GoDaddy at breakfast and we're buying the Unity Pledge domain names. And we get our uh, multicultural advisory board together and we like just start like, kind of hammering out what a, what the unity pledge should be. And, uh, you know, uh, collaboratively we, we come up with this pledge and we launch it in, uh, February, 2013, about four weeks before, um, the, the Phoenix city council led by a courageous mayor, Greg Stanton, 22 mm -hmm. years in the making, uh, the city of Phoenix, five and a half hour long vote, uh, or city council meeting at the Orpham, uh, but in February 2013, the city of Phoenix enacts an LGBTQ inclusive ordinance, and it's historic and it's remarkable. Um, and we launched the pledge about four weeks prior to that historic vote with uh, Mayor Stanton at Phoenix City Hall. And it's really the first time that you start to see the business community coming out saying, we're, we're here. I think it's really about socially responsible business advocacy. And so the pledge uh, has gotten us into all kinds of situations. Uh, we're happy that the pledge launches and we get to testify during that courageous hearing and say, I think, you know, in that first month, we had 150 businesses take the pledge, including Local First Arizona, which is the largest local business coalition in North America. We're so grateful to Kimber and Thomas and their amazing, courageous team, but also PetSmart signs on the first day, right? And it's PetSmart's yes, idea. I do remember that. Yeah, it was a big yes, deal, they were right? They sponsor Huge. of your luncheon. Absolutely. It was a big deal. 
And PetSmart comes up with the idea to have an individual unity pledge because they're like, we want our associates to be able to participate in this as well. So again, like great things happen in organizations and in movements when everyone has an mm -hmm. opportunity to share their voice and their fantastic ideas. And we work, you know, in this collaborative fashion. And then a year later, you know, SB 1062 comes to town uh, in 2014. And um, we were doing a day of service at the Arizona Animal Welfare League and taking a break and playing with puppies and kittens, <laughs> literally. Uh, and one of our uh, multicultural advisory members says, we've got to get involved in this. Like this 1062 is coming. We got to do something. And so we're like, okay, we, we had kind of promised ourselves that we've never be caught flat footed like we were after 1070 and that we, we would be courageous and we would figure it out. Um, when there was an attempt to do harm to any of our communities in our great state. So we knew the answer was yes, had no clue what we we're doing, but uh, here we go. And we just started reaching out to the business community. We were really fortunate because the pledge has 750, 800 businesses and member-based organizations that have, that have signed on to a pledge that says that they believe in LGBTQ inclusive workplaces and also in an LGBTQ inclusive state, that having a fully inclusive state is the right thing to do and it's good for business. Um, and we're engaging these businesses who had already been courageous and uncomfortable in signing on to the pledge. And so they were, um, ready to be actionable. Uh, and pet, you know, I, I remember calling PetSmart and putting them on national television, which was so amazing. And they were, you know, their, their CEO at the time said it was one of his proudest moments. Right. And oh my goodness gracious, Steven Zalstra from the Arizona Technology Council, that letter that he submitted to the governor encouraging her to do the right thing and to veto had over 150 businesses signed on to it, right? And we set up a war room uh, in one of our MAB members' offices and were creating communications and, you know, doing all these things. And, and there was the sign, right? And so... Um, one of our business members, Scott Kohler, who owns Fast Signs on Central, after SB 1062 passes through the Senate and the House, uh, he'd gone through our change agent program. We're teaching people why why being inclusive in the workplace was good and and right, good business and, and the right thing to do. Uh, and he was like, Angela, I'm a Republican, I'm a Christian, I'm a conservative, and I'm like mad as hell, and we've got to do something. Okay, Scott, what do you want to do? Get some change agents, come down here. You need to paint a mural on the side of fast signs. I was like, what do you think that mural needs to say? And he said, well, it needs to say Vito 1062. It's bad for Arizona. So, I mean, we thought about it. I had no idea how to paint a mural. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I was like, well, how do we do this? And uh, I texted Scott Saturday morning, the, the next day after after SB 1062 had, had you know passed the Senate and House. And was being transferred to the governor's desk. And my text was, how much paint do we need? And he picked up the phone and he, he said, you know what? My wife's a really intelligent woman. She just reminded me that I own a sign shop. I think we should do a sign. It'll be so much easier to clean up. <laughs> so this is the impetus of the sign, right? So he's like, grab Sherry, come down here and uh, help me design this sign. I'm like, okay, we're going to swing by and get some coffee and We'll be down in about a half an hour. And in the midst of this, we have our most amazing Mab and this crazy email thread going on. And I love to tell this part of the story because the people that are really highly engaged are all female. And uh, it was, let me see, two Republicans, 
one Democrat and two independents, but we're all Arizonans. And so uh, Megan Cox, also VL33, she's in there fighting a good fight with uh, Sheila Clefcorn, uh, Kimberly Anning, uh, and Bettina Nava. And we literally are walking into fast signs and B types. I think we should do a sign. And I type back, well, we just got to fast science. I'm going to call you. And so I call her and like 30 seconds later, we come up with open for business to everyone and go to Scott and it's written down on a post-it note and put the post-it note next to his computer. And he's working on this big banner. This is governor Brewer veto SB, SB 1062. It's bad for Arizona. It's bad for business. And I'm like, when you get done, we like need to do these signs. And uh, about eight o'clock that night, I get a call from his team. Um, and they're like, the signs are done. First signs, first 400 are done. And I come down and I put a sign in his window and I take a picture and it goes up on Facebook. And uh, as I go to pull out, Fox News pulls in. Pop the trunk, give a sign to the reporter and to the camera person. And I'm like, this is the story, right? Um, and I have 50, 60 interviews, really Scott and Kimber and Sheila Clefcorn, uh, who was on the HRC National Board of Directors at the time and our MAB. Um, everybody working together, literally a hundred thousand signs get downloaded. Like the signs are everywhere. People are like calling saying, we're in Yuma. If we drive to Phoenix, can we get some signs? We're coming down from like outside of Flagstaff. Can we get some signs? And like, we just start passing out these signs, um, and work with the Super Bowl committee. And, uh, they're, you know, they, they believe in inclusion today and every day. And, uh, so grateful for them and their statement and, and the business community just keeps encouraging the governor to do the right thing and sending these, please, please veto these, uh, this SB 1062 is just wrong and it's bad. And you know, the rest, as they say, is history. So we were overnight successes five years in the making and the unity pledge again is the largest equality pledge in the nation now. And, uh, we just announced today that, uh, our good friends at Waymo are the most recent, uh, signer of the unity pledge. And we are, are so absolutely delighted to be partnering with Waymo. We're the, the, their first LGBTQ inclusive organization in the nation that they partner with. And we want to, you know, work collaboratively and listen to all of our diverse communities on how autonomous driving can be better and safer and, um, more accessible. And so, it, but it's just all these connect the dots, right? Really. Well, it's, it's a lot of work, but your vision continues to come to fruition and it's the passion and surrounding yourself by a community of believers. And, you know, um, I commend you for all that work. And I think, um, Genevieve did have a question for you just to close this up and wrap it up. Um, so thank you so much, Angela. Yeah, my last question for you today is just building on that. You know, there's a lot of different people of different backgrounds who you're able to mobilize. So I'm wondering if you have any advice for our audience of how someone can be either more proactive as a member of the LGBTQ community or how someone can be a strong ally. Yeah. So um, two, two things. Take the Unity Pledge, if you haven't, at openaz.com. Uh Join our, this national coalition at equalityandfairness.com. It takes one minute to take, take each of these pledges. And with Equality and Fairness, you also, within a minute, can send your support of this bipartisan framework that we've created to your elected officials anywhere in the nation. From being a more active ally, I think, you know, we need to hear people. 
We need to meet people where they're at. We need to not make assumptions um, and start with the fact that what we all have in common is our humanity. Um, it's always, it's easy to find things that we disagree on. I encourage people to work a bit harder to find the things that we do agree on. Um, we don't have to agree on everything. Um, but if we're, if we're unwilling to share our experiences and what, and why we believe what we believe, um, then we don't have the opportunity to pe to change people's hearts and minds. So I encourage folks to be kinder and more patient and meet people where they're at and ask people why they feel that way, whatever it is that they feel for wh whatever the situation you're talking about and to just be more understanding, uh, because we have way more in common than we don't. Um, and I think that overwhelmingly people are good. So find the goodness, you know? Yes. I think that we should all have learned a little bit of that through COVID, yeah. you know, just have a little bit more compassion and empathy. And, um, you know, as the CEO of Colibri Collective, we are going to take that pledge. So we're committed to supporting um, one community. And we are so grateful that you were able to share your story and the impact work that you do. Um, we need more, more kindness in our world right now, um, especially in the state that we're in. And so we um, owe you a lot of gratitude for all the work that you've done for our communities, not only the LGBT community, but all our communities. So thank you so much for joining today for the Voices of Colibri, my fellow VL, um, <laughs> Class 33. Thank um, you, Gabby. We appreciate you and one community. So grateful for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, let's have a big VL33 table at Spotlight this year. Yes. You got a deal. Thank you for listening to Voices of Colibri. Subscribe for updates and stay tuned for our next episode. Learn more at thecolibricollective.com.